did to Braden and Joe for filling in and preaching over the last few weeks. Uh, in particular, just want to say thank you to, to Joe. I know he's not in here, uh, but man, I'm just so thankful to have him. Uh, you know, one of the things Joe told me when, when we hired him and, and the first time I set him down to, to kind of get to know him was he told me, he said, hey, you know what? I'm a really, really good number two. And he said, I think I could help you out a lot if you just let me. Uh, and, and listen, I know some of y'all, like, if you're not in leadership, I don't think you understand what a big deal that is for somebody to be able to say, hey, I'm a good number two. Uh, it takes a lot of, of, of humility and it just a person who knows himself. And so he is a great number two. He's been very helpful to me. He's done a lot while I was gone to, to take care of some things with committees. And so uh, I just want to say thanks to him. Uh, and just thank you so much for everybody who called or checked in on us this last week while we were at the hospital. Uh, you know, when you sit with people all day, you don't realize what a big deal it is to have somebody check on you or, or to talk to you while you're in a hospital. And so I just want to say thank you guys for that, okay? So if you've got a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 7 this morning. Luke chapter 7. Um, we uh, spent most of the summer in the Beatitudes. Uh, and then uh, September 12th, because I'm a glutton for punishment, uh, we'll start Revelation back up. We'll pick it up where we left off. And so since I'm so excited and, and I, most of you have gotten over being mad at me, I'm just going to wade back out there again, right? And so people can quit coming to church because they don't like my interpretation or throw grenades at me on Facebook, and you know, it's going to be great. I'm, I'm just so excited about it. But since uh, uh, we started it, we're going to finish it, and so we'll pick that back up September 12th. Um, but until then, Joe and I just decided we would do a, a little series that we would just call Reset. And so over the next few weeks, Joe started it. We're, we're going to basically share the gospel one week, remind you what that is, because as Martin Luther said, uh, we must beat the gospel into our heads. We need to hear it repeatedly. Uh, and then after we hear the gospel, the next week we're going to talk about how the, the gospel looks or what the marks of uh, a person's life should be after they've trusted in Jesus and how the gospel affects our life. And so that's kind of where we're going for the next few weeks until uh, I wade back out there and allow myself to be a whipping boy again. So, all right. So Luke chapter 7, verse 18. If you would please stand as we honor the reading uh, of God's word. Starting in verse 18, it says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him, right? Talking about John. And John, calling to his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor of good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by them. 
Verse 31. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation and what they are like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by our children. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for your word. Father, thank you that it is only through grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus Christ alone that we're saved. And Father, we need to be reminded of that continually. So be with us today as we just look at this text. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. I pray for those who uh, are trying to, to justify themselves or save themselves through their own righteousness, that today you would convict them of that. Father, for those of us who um, maybe are, are just walking in, in some sort of unrepentant sin or licentiousness, that today as we look at this text, that you would help us to, to repent of those things and, and to align ourselves back with you in, in your way and what you say. Um, Father, we love you. I thank you that, it's, that, that I can be back today and, uh, and just be among your people again. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So... Uh, Joe was in Luke chapter 7. I thought, why not just stay there? And so we jumped back. And so let me just give you a quick review so you kind of have an idea where we're at. Right? The book of Luke opens up with this older man and his wife who have been unable to have kids. Right? So they're in their late 80s. They're in their 90s. They're, they're, they're up there. They're unable to have kids. And one day an angel shows up and says to the dad, says, hey, listen, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a son, and you're going to name that son John. So this baby grows up, he begins his ministry, and if you remember from Sunday school and your flanograph days, is that this guy's a little bit different. He's a little kooky, right? He, he doesn't dress like everybody else. He lives out in the middle of nowhere, and he wears camel hair, and he eats bugs, and he dips them in honey to give them a little flavor, and he just spends his time preaching and telling people to repent because Jesus is coming, because the kingdom of God is near. Then Jesus shows up to be baptized by this man, John. And Jesus is like, and John's like, hey, man, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You really should be baptizing me. And Jesus is like, no, hey, man, this is how it's got to go. You've got to baptize me. And so John does. He baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, we all know the story, right? Heavens crack open. The dove descends. The voice booms. And, hey, this is my son. I'm pleased with him. You need to listen to him. And then right after that, Jesus is led out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights to be tempted of Satan. And it's during this 40 days and 40 nights that our boy John gets himself in a little bit of trouble. So, so there's this man named Herod. Herod's in, Rome's in charge of the world, but, but Herod is kind of the governor of Jerusalem. That's really a good way to look at it. And Herod has a problem. Herod is in love with his brother Philip's wife. Her name's Herodias, which I still just think that's just the weirdest thing in the world, right? Like if I met a girl named Byronius, like I'm, I'm out. I just, sounds too similar. But Herod's in love with Byronius, or Herod, uh, Herodias. They've been running around behind Philip's back, and Herod just decides, you know what, I'm done creeping. I'm done running behind the back. Like, I'm just going to take her. So, hey, Herodias, you need to leave Philip. He's no good for you, baby. I'm better. And so he just takes his brother's wife. Well, John decides, hey, listen, I can't let this slide, right? I mean, this guy can't be doing that. That's just wrong. And so John decides to chase this dude down, and just every time he sees him, he's like, hey, man, you shouldn't have your, your brother's wife. I mean, her name's Herodias, your Herod, it's weird anyways, but hey, you, you shouldn't have your brother's wife. And he keeps this up. Well, eventually, since Herodias wears the pants in the family, she says, hey, Herod, I can't handle this no more, man. You've got to arrest this guy. We've got to put this guy in jail. Something's got to be done because I, I can't handle this anymore. And so that's exactly what Herod does. And as chapter 7 opens up, John's in prison. 
And John is struggling with some doubts about Jesus, which to me is just wild. Every time I read that, I'm like, how? I mean, one, your, your parents were old as dirt, and they somehow had you. Two, you were there whenever Jesus was baptized, sky cracked open, all that crazy stuff happened. You saw that. And then three, you had the courage and the faith to go after one of the most powerful men in your area and tell him that he's living wrong. And so yet, he still has doubts. And in verse 18, we we see what he does with those doubts. Look what he does, verse 18. It says, The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor of good news preach to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So John's in prison, and some of his disciples come to him, and they tell him all these things. They're like, man, you ought to see what this Jesus guy's doing. He's healing people. It's crazy. His ministry's taking off. And so John's like, hey, listen, I need you to go ask Jesus, like, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that I've been preparing the way for? Is is this the guy? Are, Are you him? And really why he's doing that is that John, in his head's thinking, man, if this guy's the Messiah, I did everything that God asked me to do. Like, I've been obedient, I've been faithful, and yet here I am, I'm sitting in a prison cell, I'm rotting, and I don't know if I'm going to get out. So I have a few doubts that if this guy's the Messiah, that, that he really is who he says he is, and I need some, some verification. I need a little clarification from Jesus here. And honestly, can you blame him for wondering? I mean, if you're honest, would you say that you have doubts at times? And if you don't, please come talk to me. Like, I would love to visit with you, Super Christian, about how you've never had a doubt in your life, right? I have doubts, okay? I'm going two out of three summers with taking my kid to have major surgery. I've got doubts, y'all. There are just days that I don't get it. There's days I don't understand it. There's days I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching through Revelation, letting everybody throw tomatoes at me, right? Jesus, I'm doing everything I know to do here. Like, like, yeah, I'm still having to walk through some of these things, and I don't understand it. And this is where John's at. And this is what I love about Jesus, though. And this is the great thing about the Bible is that, listen, we can bring our doubts to Jesus. Like, we can come to him and say, man, I, I'm doubting. I'm struggling. And he's not going to be like, well, you moron, get away from me. Like, I can't believe you would doubt. Like, he doesn't do that. Like, we can take our doubts, and he will answer our doubts. He'll be patient with doubters. And he never leaves us in our doubts. And so John sends his guys to him, and he's like, man, John's got some doubts. He wants to know. And right there, Jesus just doesn't answer him right away. He just turns around, and he starts healing people. He starts healing people with plagues and diseases, and he's casting out evil spirits, and he's opening the eyes of the blind. And then he turns around, and he says, hey, listen, go tell John all about these things. Go tell him about everything that you're seeing right now. Tell him that the lame are walking that the lepers are cleansed, that the people are receiving sight, that the deaf hear, that the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. What Jesus is doing is he's quoting scripture to John. See, there's all these crazy verses in Isaiah 29, 35, and 42 where Isaiah is describing what it would look like when the Messiah shows up. 
And John would have known these verses. He would have known them by heart. And so as he's hearing Jesus rattle off these verses to him about all the things that are happening, in his mind he's going, okay, yeah, that's Isaiah 39 or 29. That's 35. Okay, that's 42. And his heart would have swelled because he knew 42 verse 7 was coming. And look what 42 verse 7 says. It says to open the eyes that are blind and check it out, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. But Jesus left that part off. So in other words, here's what Jesus is telling John. He's saying, listen, John, I am the one. I am the one that Isaiah promised, but listen to me. You're going to die in prison. You're not getting out. That's why verse 23 says, blessed is he who's not offended by me. So, so blessed is the one who, who's not offended by the way that I choose to operate. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away from following me because of their disappointment in the way that I choose to work in their lives. So, so let me just ask you a few questions, right? So, so if tomorrow, let's just say, right, and we got students in here, we got football, we got everything starting back up. What if tomorrow God says, hey, your athletic career is over? Would you still follow him? Parents, that's probably harder for you than them, maybe. I don't know, right? Would you still follow him? Like if God said what's best for you is to remain single for a while, okay? I'm still speaking to my students here a little bit. Would you still follow him? If God decided to let you walk through an illness, would you still follow him? Or maybe allow your child to walk through an illness. Maybe God decides, hey, it's time to switch jobs, and he takes your job, or maybe you lose your home, or maybe he says, hey, your income level is a little too high. Let's, let's see what we can do with a little bit less. And so he rearranges some things in your life. If any of those things happen, would you still follow him? Would you? See, that's what he's saying. It's, it's blessed is the person who's not offended by the way that I choose to work. So everybody listen to me. The Bible will always blast the prosperity gospel. Always. There's no such thing as a person who decides to follow Jesus who's going to have a life that is happy, healthy, wealthy, and successful, okay? And I don't care what all those guys you watch on the internet tell you, right? I don't care like, how big and buff and, and awesome they look. They, they don't know what they're talking about. Like, that is not the case. Our boy Braden preached on that a few weeks ago, didn't he? Blessed are those who are persecuted. In other words, following Jesus means that things most of the time aren't going to get easier. They're probably going to get a little bit harder. And as Braden said, if, if they're not, it sometimes means that we probably need to look at what we're doing because a lot of times we don't do enough to be persecuted in terms of sharing our faith or living out our faith. And this is exactly what's happening here is Jesus is saying, listen, John, I am the one, dude. But listen, you're going to die in prison and blessed is he who's not offended by the way that I choose to work because my ways aren't your ways. And as soon as his disciples leave, look at verse 24. Look what Jesus says. The disciples walk away. Jesus turns back to the crowd. And when John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. He said, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before me. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. 
So as soon as they leave, Jesus looks at the crowd. And he's like, hey, man, what did y'all even go out there to see? I mean, did you go out there to see some trembling little weakling that was just scared and, and he wasn't ever going to say anything to anybody? Did you go to see some rich boy dressed in nice clothes? Jesus said, no, you went to see a prophet. You went to see a great man of God. In fact, you went to see the prophet of who Malachi has been telling you about. Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 says, Behold, I send my messenger before, my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. He's saying, John was sent by God to tell you that I am the promised one, that I am God, and since I'm here, things are different. I'm here to change things. In other words, people no longer have to perform to be accepted by God. I'm the one who's performing for them. I'm going to be perfect so that those who put their faith and trust in me can have their sins forgiven and can be made right with God the Father. And that's why he goes on to make this crazy claim. He says, among those born of women, there is nobody greater than John. Nobody. Now that's pretty, pretty high praise, Right? Nobody greater than John, but then he says, yet the one who's least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. Okay, so, so that would mean all of you in this room, right? I know it's 2021, okay, but you were all born of a woman somewhere, somehow, right? You were. And so he's saying that all of us in this room, there is nobody in this room that was greater than John. Like John is greater than all of us born of a woman, but yet if you've trusted in Jesus, you're greater than John. That ought to just blow your mind. See, those of us as Christians have a relationship with God because of Jesus, and that relationship is greater than that of the Old Testament prophets. That's who John was. John was part of the Old Testament. He was part of the old system, the old kingdom. And Jesus is saying, no, those who have trusted in me. See, it's not based on what we do, but what Jesus has done for us. So it means when we sin, we no longer have to worry about being separated from God That because he welcomes us and he loves us because his love for us is based on what Jesus did, not on what we do. That's the good news of the gospel. And so Jesus is saying, man, if you've trusted in me, if you believe in what I've come to do, then guess what? You have a relationship. You're greater than even John the Baptist. And check out the response to this in verse 29. It says, when all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. So in other words, when all the common people, and if you remember a couple weeks ago, Joe did such a good job talking about how that worked itself out. Ooh, let's get a little hot. Okay, how that worked itself out. If you remember, he was talking about being at the Pharisees' house and how they were just kind of above everybody else and how even, like, they were so above everybody else that they would just let the commoners come in and kind of eat food off their tables because they're like, ah, oh, these poor people got to eat, right? It was kind of the caste system of the day. And so all these people, right, that weren't Pharisees, all these kind of common people and even the tax collectors who people didn't like when they heard Jesus say this, when they heard him say that, hey, my, that, that, that you can have a relationship with God based on what I'm doing for you, it says that they're nodding their head going, yeah, God's just that God is good, that God is fair. But on the other hand, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, they're sitting there listening to all this, and they're going, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess, yeah, they need it, right? Not us. I mean, we keep the rules. We're good people. We followed all the rules. But those people, yeah, they need it, so I guess I can see why they're nodding their heads. But us, we're good, right? 
Flip back to Luke chapter 3 just real quick. Luke chapter 3. See, they're saying this because they weren't baptized by John. If you look at verse 7, this is John speaking. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, John's just trying to tell them, much like Jesus is here, is that you're sinful and you need forgiveness. You need to repent. You need to turn away from what you're doing and turn towards the Lord. You need to live for him. See, when you see the grace and the goodness of Jesus Christ, you bear fruit in keeping with repentance. You bear fruit as a mark of being saved, right? And that's first next week's sermon. And so the outcasts are hearing this, and they're nodding their heads, and they're going, yeah, man, we're sinful. Yeah, we're awful. Yeah, man, we went to that party last night, and we, yeah, we had too good of a time. Like, that's, that's just kind of where we're at. Like, we get that we need salvation. We get that it's got to come from outside of us. And they turned away, and they repented. And they trusted in the grace and the goodness of Jesus. But the religious people just stood back and just said, yeah, boy, those people, they sure do need to do something, don't they? See, they thought they were so good that it was all said and done that they would stand in front of God and they would hand him their report card and go, look how good I was. Right? You see, look at all those A's, all those good grades. Look how amazing I am. Now, don't look at them. Like, they've got F's. They, they, need, they need a little help. They need some remedial classes. Not us. Look at us. We're really, really good. The others knew that no matter how hard they tried, it wouldn't be enough, that they weren't good enough, that they needed the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And listen to me, I'm afraid we do this in our little corner of the world, don't we? Don't we like to stand back and go, well, man, my parents went to church, and now I go to church, and now I'm making my kids go to church, and, you know, we're really good people. I mean, yeah, 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 I do some things I shouldn't do, but listen, I ain't as bad as my neighbor. I mean, I didn't get as crazy as they did at Heritage Days, right? And what happens is we just become dull for our need for forgiveness. See, we all have to understand our need for a Savior. The Bible's so clear. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, look what Paul says. He says, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside together. They've become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Heart, words, deeds, conclusion. We're all sinful. And there's no fear of God before our eyes. And it's only those who realize their need for a Savior who are saved. The outcast in the story, they got that. They knew where they stood. They knew their need for forgiveness. And they got it. And the religious people didn't. And that's why Jesus ends with this little story. Look at verse 31. He says, to what then shall I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? 
They were like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine and you say he has a demon. The son of man has come eating and drinking and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by all of her children. Now, how many of you ever played a game with, with little kids? Yeah, it's frustrating, right? They don't play by the rules, right? I'm like, hey, this is clearly what the rules say. But you're changing the rules. You're doing something that's not what, that's not what we're supposed to be doing, right? I remember when Ellie was, was little and she would play hide and seek. The goal was to not be found, right? But yet she would go somewhere and then she would go, ah! I just make little noises like hoping that I would find her or hoping that we would catch her. Or if you're the one hiding, if she couldn't find you, eventually she would just give up and go watch TV, right? And so you're just sitting there going like, is she ever going to find me? And then like, it kind of tricks you into thinking like, man, I'm really good at this hiding thing, right? Yeah, they make, up, they make up rules all the time. I hear her and the neighbor kids, right, making the cash all the time out there, right? And, like, they'll be playing a game, and all of a sudden they'll be like, no, that's not how you do it. No, that's how you do it, right? And they're rewriting the rules. They're changing the rules. So what Jesus does right here is he quotes a popular saying that children would shout to one another when they were playing games, right? That, that, that kids would yell at each other, right? It was kind of their version of, like, nanny, nanny, boo-boo or something like that. Like, they're yelling at each other. And here's what Jesus is doing to these men. He's calling them children. He's basically saying, man, you're a bunch of three-year-olds, which is the last thing a bunch of men want to be called. And Jesus goes on to say that, listen, you guys didn't want to listen to John, right? You said John was too extreme. You said that he's no fun because he won't eat, he won't drink, he won't act like us, right? And so there's got to be something wrong with this guy. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to discredit John. So, yeah, he's got a demon. And so they tell everybody that John's got a demon. But then Jesus says, I show up, right? And I'm eating and I'm drinking and I'm offering forgiveness. And all of a sudden you're looking at me going, oh, yeah, whoa, he's, he's way too much like these guys. So we, we got to discredit him too. Something's wrong with, with this guy. He's a, he's a drunk and he's a glutton and he's a friend of sinners. It's almost like it's 2021, right? Right? If you eat or you drink, then, oh, you're wrong. Don't eat or drink, then whoop, you're wrong, right? You just can't win. You just can't win. And Jesus is saying, man, you're like a bunch of children. You're making up your own rules as you go along. And here in the church, don't we do the same thing? We, we're like children. We like to play games, don't we? I think probably the two greatest games that we love to play as Christians are license and legalism. Those are our two fun games. Now, 20 years ago, I would have told you that legalism is the problem, but the longer I'm a pastor, the more I realize that now it's license. License is the problem, right? We figure out that there's freedom in Christ, and now we've flown so far over here into license that most of the time how we live doesn't even remotely resemble what Jesus talked about. I heard a song as I was driving to Denver this week that the song's called I Still Talk to Jesus. Anybody ever heard that song? The course says, you know, maybe I drink too much. I fall in and out of love. There's been a couple times I've done a couple lines. I lie to my mama. I smoke marijuana. Most of the time I do what I want to. And you might not believe me, but I still talk to Jesus, right? So in other words, the, the point of the song is, yeah, I do everything I'm not supposed to, but I still talk to Jesus, so me and Jesus are cool, right? And, and isn't that how so many of us as believers, even right here, live our lives? Like, like there's no affection for Christ, 
There's no love for Christ. There's no desire to be more like him. I'm just going to go live however I want. And the minute, the minute somebody says, hey, brother, sister, I, I, don't, I, I don't think that's exactly the way that Christ has called us to live. What do we do? Legalist! You can't tell me how to live. Like, who are you? You don't know me, right? You're just a rule follower. And then we get all over that person. But the other one's legalism, right? And there's still a few of us left. Man, we love to add rules, don't we? Right? We know what the Bible says, but we're going to just take it out a little bit farther. Right? We're going we're to add those rules. We're going to pile those rules on. And I think the danger that we see here in our little church is this, is we've had a lot of people that have been saved out of licentiousness and they've come to follow and love Jesus, but the longer they follow and love Jesus, the more they're resembling the Pharisees because they forget what it was like to be back there and to be those kind of people. That's why Jesus says that, listen, wisdom is justified by our children. It's meaning those of us in this room that get that it's only Jesus, it's Jesus alone. Know that Jesus is the only reason that we have been saved. That when we get that, we don't play games. Instead, wisdom is justified. In other words, saying that you see the fruit of what it means to be saved, Right? Because let me tell you something. If you continue on in license, I've been a pastor long enough to see this happen. Those who walk in license eventually will just leave the church. Because they'll eventually get to the point where like, well, man, what's the point of keep going to do this church thing? What's the point of keep following this Jesus thing when I can just kind of live however I want? I don't need the church, right? They're just a buzzkill, so they just leave. And then those of you who continue to walk in legalism, you're just going to dry up and you're going to get hard and you're going to get mean and you're just going to grumble and you're going to complain and you're going to make everybody's life miserable. But boy, what grace when you realize you need Jesus, amen? What grace when you realize that you're not good enough. What grace when you realize that you have only been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. That's when wisdom is justified in our children. See, listen, if you knew me, you knew, you know it was a joke that I'm a pastor. I've been here long enough. You can laugh. It's okay. You know. It's a joke. I'm impatient. I'm obnoxious. I'm insecure. I'm quick-tempered. I'm a jerk. I'm prideful. Okay? Whenever you're driving from Denver back home here, there's nothing out there. Y'all know that, right? Have you ever driven that route? Especially from Lyman to Lamar, it's awful. And so when you're sitting there, you can't get away from your wife. And so when she starts asking questions, you can't like, you know, get out of it. And then, you know, she starts putting her finger on things that's like, hey, man, you're prideful, right? You're prideful, you know, and I, and I had some things pointed out. You know, there's some medication I'm supposed to be taking. I haven't in like a month and a half, and my wife got on to me for it. And she's like, it's just prideful. It's silly. It's stupid. I'm prideful. But listen, somehow, someway, God in his grace before time began set his love on me and he saved me. And the older I get, I'm almost 40, the older I get, the more I realize what a joke it is that he would save somebody like me. I realize more and more that I could never on my own save myself. I've tried. I can't do it. So, so what about you this morning? That's my question. Do you realize your need for grace? Do you know that outside of Jesus, you will never be made right with God? And I'm talking to you legalists who thinks that you're going to save yourself by the way you live. 
Do you know that? What about those of you in this room that say you're Christians? And I'm speaking to a lot of us in here. Has there been a change? Are you bearing fruit in keeping with repentance, right? I'll use that word all day. I'm not afraid, right? Repentance just basically means you're standing in a room. There's two walls. There's your sin. There's Jesus. And it's a daily thing where you say, you know what? I'm facing my sin, but today I'm going to turn around and face Jesus. I'm going to line myself back up with what Jesus tells me to do. So if you're that person who's walking in license, have you truly trusted in the grace of Jesus? And you have, are you growing? And we're not asking you to be like super Christian overnight. Remember, Joe did a great job talking about that. Depending on where we were at when we came to Jesus, some of our growth's a little slower than others, and that's okay. Some of us are barely just getting there, but we're getting there. Has grace changed you? And then finally, listen, some of us, it may take losing everything. Like Jesus just said, blessed is one who's not offended by me. It may take us losing it all to see our need. And I pray that if that's you, that, that you wouldn't get to that point. So wherever you're at today, I'm calling you back to trust in Jesus, to look to the cross, to remember that it's there and only there that we find salvation. We can't do it on our own. We can't save ourselves. It's only through Jesus. And it's through Jesus then that we begin to bear fruit and that our lives look differently. So if you would, pray with me this morning. Father, I thank you so much for all that you've given us. Thank you for each and every person that's here today. I pray that today, uh, that as the gospel's been preached, that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, that today that they would put their faith and trust in you. Um, and that, Father, you would save them, that they would not leave here until they tell somebody what's happened. Father, for those of us in the room who tend to, to walk in license or walk in legalism, that, Father, today you would convict us of our sins and that we would repent and that we would turn back to you and that we would line ourselves up with the good news of the gospel that we would remember that it's, it's not what we do, but what Jesus has done. And that that message would once again melt our heart. And when that message melts our heart, we become the kind of people that you called us to be. Father, I thank you for these people. I thank you for this church. I thank you so much for what you're doing. And I pray that you would be with us now as we stand and sing. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?